0: back to the stab mic presented by bird hair products this is stabs podcast with a focus on money influence and culture my name is sam McIntosh, and today in the studio at the bird's nest in newport beach california a guest is photographer morgan Musson. morgan is only in his 20s and already his work seems iconic he cut his teeth working alongside sean Stussy, and is now one of the most sur- successful surf photographers in the world today even though he says he's not really a surf photographer he's smart well-spoken a shrewd negotiator and has clients ranging from American Express, Chanel, Mercedes and Apple. Hey Don Moggs.
1: great, thank you. You are ready to get into it? Absolutely.
0: Okay, so today I really want to work out how you've gotten where you are, what hacks there are to a career in surf photography and also delve into whether surf photography is a viable career for an up
1: and coming photog. So, when I was I'm 29 years old, so in 2005, when I was 15 years old, was when I was starting to make little surf films on my own camera. I was working full-time for Sean, going to school, and really starting to, I guess, find my footing with cameras and surfing and my balance and figure out that that was kind of my calling. I had Surfing Magazine, I had Surfer Magazine, I think I had Translate Surf Coming, too, Um, I still had dial-up at my house. We were like the last family to get high-speed internet in the neighborhood. And so my consumption of online media was pretty limited. I think Surfline back then was the same as it is now. And I can't remember any of the Surf Magazine's websites. But in those Surf Magazines, I was looking. I remember not really appreciating the photos just yet, but more really gleaming from it the amount of travel and the amount of opportunity that presented itself and the beauty of surfing and culture abroad. Now, retrospectively, as I think back, and I remember all the different photographers across the spectrum, I mean every surf magazine had five, six, seven staff photographers, and there was three in America, there was three in Australia, there was three in Europe, there was a couple in Japan and I look at the way that they would go on trips, whether it was Jeff Hornbaker shooting for Roxy or it was Tom survey shooting for Quicksilver, or it was Dustin Humphrey doing Billabong, however it may be, they all had uh, they're different retainers and they're different contracts with both big brands as well as surf magazines. They were creating a ton of content. There was, I mean, most of the uh, content found its home in editorial first, but obviously every brand need, had its need, and all the surf brands were on the rise in their their you know global growth. So combining things I've I've discussed and heard with from other photographers and pieced together in you know the almost nine ten years that I've been a professional photographer now, as well as just the land observing the landscape and seeing how I interact with brands and magazines and watching the transformations, um, I can't believe how many people were able to make successful careers off photography and looking at, you know, some of the, the amount of content that some of those photographers had to make for brands, coupled with the amount of travel they're doing for magazines and it being nonstop in such a, an all consuming career. Um, unless there was really truly, you know, uh, widespread um exploitation i would i would reason to think that a lot of them were making you know upwards of a hundred thousand dollars at least 25 30 photographers and then probably a couple more for special interest projects or different retainers and throughout the whole shuffle of every year as brands and magazines realign their interests
0: so typically there was a big group of say 30 40 guys on that 100 to one fifty zone and then the top guys like a tom Savay or jeff hornbaker might have been in the 250 club
1: Absolutely, I, I I would think so. I'd think that those guys were were pulling in decent contracts, great contracts, when they were shooting a lot of um, you know the marquee brands work as well as the magazines were were paying you know proper retainers back. What is then. a proper retainer for I mean, magazine? Now it's not <laughs> it, now. I don't think you can find now. one now. <laughs> I think um, you know fifteen twenty years ago. I remember hearing stories about certain guys getting paid five six grand a month, as well as having you know, incredibly handsome travel budgets to be able to do both projects on their own as well as pull together trips where they can then sell, you know, photos to brand interests first but give back big content pieces to the magazines. Um, so there's a couple guys like that. Like I know Pete Frieden was kind of a rock star for Surfing Magazine for a long time and and commanded a, you know, a very large portion of their budget as well as guys like Dustin Humphrey too. Um, D-Hump just got out, he got out just in time. Yeah, and so I think D-Hump, hit he struck while the iron was hot and he he consolidated a lot of power to his you know big move to Bali and, and the amount of stuff he was shooting with all the pros when Bali was really hot on the radar. And as then, well as I think Ben he, just exited and went straight and started working with Deus. Yeah and I think he also timed his exit perfectly because the whole landscape shifted.
0: Well if you break it down, October sixth two thousand ten, Instagram launched and pretty much that that's the that's the demise of I guess magazines And surf photography as it was. Mm. Discuss.
1: I think it's interesting because a lot of people look at Instagram as kind of this magazine killer and just kind of social media in general. In reality, I think magazines just had a very poor and slow response to social media. And so I think that date is significant in the sense that it's, or insignificant in the sense that an app just launched out of nowhere. But what happened is that app and when it launched, I think it was very insignificant at the time, but I think it was significant in the sense that if you look at it in the timeline of photography, magazines, and just kind of the whole way they all interconnect and photographers work and market themselves, Instagram has gone on to become the, the focal point of almost everything, whether it's digital marketing or your my outward portfolio or the way I communicate with brands or, or brands or creative agencies or clients find me. Um, so I think you can't say that people that were on the wrong side of that date died that day, but I think at the same time, a few people and the next generation of people were born that day. People like Chris Burkard, people like Jay Alvarez, um, more influencers. Even I think that's a, a separate topic. But you have but- to
0: say that it died that day because who have, who have made the leap? Well, what percentage? Five percent?
1: Three percent? I'm. I, I mean. As far as making the leap, like for example, my little anecdote—I use that often because it's indicative of how even I was blindsided by it. I, it. It took me by surprise. I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't even understand what to make of it. I had a personal Facebook. I had a personal MySpace. I hadn't touched in a year. I had a Gmail and a, I had a blog and a website too, obviously. Um, and the blog was the, almost the focal point of my 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 business because that's what attracted a vast majority of my customers. I had a lot of. Um, brands find me through it. I had a lot of uh, like a fan following and I had a lot of comments that I engaged with. I mean, my blog, it was a blog spot that I skinned and implemented into a Flash website that I built. It was pretty janky, but at the same time, the blogger community that implemented into it spread my work far and wide, far beyond just the normal reach of, of, um, you know, emailing Surfer Magazine and say, hey, check out these photos I just took. Instead, I was getting hit up by clients that Otherwise, wouldn't find my stuff already that quickly, um, which was pretty fantastic. So, um, so can I interrupt you for a second? Mm-hmm. So, prior to
0: Instagram and this, I guess, self-promotion and being your own media outlet, yeah, to be really validated and credible as a surf photographer, you needed one of these these big magazine retainers, right? Absolutely. These, these guys got the lion's share. But after that, after this turning point the landscape had changed yeah. and so you were becoming your own sort of
1: PR. That's an incredibly valid point in that retainers with both brands and with magazines I think up until 2010 really was the equivalent of an AP press badge. It was the, the best way to insinuate how professional you were, put money in your pocket, film or memory cards in your camera, and it gave you the ability to access almost anyone any, any way you needed to, whether it was planning a trip or doing a project or anything in between. And after that day when Instagram was launched, and I think Blogger and LiveJournal, and there's a couple other websites similar around the time, MySpace, and then most people had private Facebooks early 2010 or so. Um, People could still represent themselves and be extroverted in sharing their work and and post their work. But there was such a now antiquated mindset of you weren't supposed to put your best work out on the internet until it had been considered by a brand, considered by a magazine, and then published by a magazine if the brand didn't want it. And then at that point, if you still were able to part with it and and deem it kind of a B or C grade photo, you'd potentially put it on anything less than your portfolio website. So that all changed when Instagram came around and took maybe a year or two for Instagram to evolve into what it is now. This is where Chris Picard hit a home run as he immediately started putting his best work up from the day he got his account. And people gravitated towards it because people just want to see amazing content constantly.
0: Okay. This is something we've spoken about offline. I want to talk about this now. We broke down a list of the top five earners in the world in surf photography. Chris sits at the top of the list. I want to, I want to continue down this list and I want, to sort of, I want you to break down why these guys have been successful. And I've got you coming in at number two, but Chris Burkhard, yeah, continue. Sorry.
1: So I think if you look at the, the amount of photographers that are successful now, and if you look at them through the scope of saying surf photographers, it's very hard to call Chris Burcard a surf photographer. I call him a kayak photographer. Uh, myself, I'm not a surf photographer anymore. I'm like an ocean lifestyle photographer. and We'll get to you. Et cetera. But- and then you look at Zach Noyle. Zach Noyle's a, a wave ocean photographer, et cetera, et cetera. So So you guys have your niches. but We have our niches. But if you look at that, that already splays us to be very, very, very different from one another. And also, I'm not just saying us individually, but each photographer from every single other one. And then so you delve into the business model. And each photographer has a very different business model too. Chris, for example, I mean, some of his posts have 10, 15 brands tagged in them. Everything from a power bar to a solar powered uh, iphone charger to a backpack company to the tourism board to an even ngos is is helping support him to to make his projects whereas myself i kind of throw my net out as a fine artist and see who comes to buy my work after i take it or i'm shooting large brand commercials and i don't even share that work or i share it in a separate manner can i give
0: you my interpretation mm-hmm. i feel so chris burkhardt 3.5 million followers on instagram he has his niche He's that lifestyle guy that people go to. He's well-known. His face is almost as much of the story as his work. For you, I feel like you have almost patented the the surf look for non-surfing businesses. Mm. So I feel like if a Mercedes or an MX or a Corona
1: want the surfing look, they come to you. I would like to think that the work I share is the work I'm most proud of and the fact that brands want to work with it, whether it's licensing a stock or hiring me to do that is an incredible opportunity. I've also missed out immensely on the opportunity of representing myself as a world traveler or as a a young person that has a camera in one hand and is always in these epic locations because that's what people love. And that's what if you look at someone like Chris Picard or I think Zach Noel might have um, toned it down a little bit and even Clark Little when he, Clark, hit the scene he had mass amounts of PR around this tan handsome guy throwing himself around in chore break that was more almost more enamoring than the actual work he was making um so I think that is a whole nother sector to explore and and a whole different scope of work that some people have very 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 successfully combined with their work I see it kind of as a whole separate wing of marketing yourself as a photographer where you become more of an influencer celebrity type of person where you might even eclipse the quality of your work, and that is of no interest to me.
0: Um, so, what, what, when you're on a shoot now, does the client ever ask, "Hey, we want you to be part of the campaign. You shooting is the story
1: we're chasing." Oh, absolutely. I mean, almost every shoot I do now, or almost every project of any brand of any size, they want behind-the-scenes photos. They want social media posts on my account. They want me to do stories. They what? Ten years ago, you were never allowed to post where you're at, what you were shooting. Uh, in, in because you might leak the product or you might let people know about what you were working on. In turn, there's now, uh, I mean, you're swatting away different briefs that they're trying to sneak into your contract saying, hey, can you do this, these extra posts, this, this, uh, this little sneak peek or whatever.
0: So I did some research for this piece and I was speaking to Jimmy Wilson. And there's so many different variables for someone to succeed. But he says one of the biggest opportunities that you had you grew up in an affluent area where there were people around you who were very confident and success was around you everywhere and you took this confidence into negotiation. So we spoke offline. There was someone who wanted to run an image on Instagram and they said, oh, this is our billboard rate. This is what we're going to pay for Instagram. You said, no, this is the new billboard. And you were absolutely resolute and said, this is the this is the price. And I've heard that a lot about your work. And Jimmy says, the population density has meant the opportunity for you. If you had been in Kauai or Carnarvon or somewhere remote without having that proximity to LA where there's all these massive creative agencies.
1: That's a, a an interesting statement in that um, being from Santa Barbara is kind of always, I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because people are always like, oh, your parents bought you your red or, or, you know, some your next door neighbor is the owner of Saatchi and Saatchi or whatever. And, and it's kind of the opposite, actually. I look at people like Jimmy Wilson or people from San Diego or people from, you know, different communities and, and uh, where they had photographers to look up to and work with and mentor with. And I was kind of insular up there. I mean, I, we have a very potent surf community in Santa Barbara, but it lays dormant almost year round. And when I really did fall into photography and film and stuff, I actually got turned away by photographers. They, they gave me the cold shoulder because they thought, oh, more competition. Or, oh, a little kid who's going to upset the whole business or is going to, you know, throw a wrench in in my engine sort of thing. So I had to learn it all on my own. And I think I definitely never had any advice as far as navigating the photography business or the film business. I definitely didn't go to business school or um, even really gleam anything from school as far as how to, like, write proper emails or, or conduct business or read contracts but what I did always do is I looked at my competitors and I looked at people I, I, where I aspired to go and I looked at people that I either deemed as competition or or I wanted as my competition. And I said, what are they doing right and what are they doing wrong? And I, I it's funny because it's weird. It's so weird to taint your passion, your absolute passion with money and business and uh, emails and phone calls and contracts and all that crap. But at the same time, it. They're totally synergetic in that when I want to go to Iceland, I want to ask somebody for a certain amount of money to make that Iceland trip happen and then to also shoot my best work. If I'm on my A game, I can make it happen and everybody wins and I make my best work, which is paramount. So in that sense, as I figured out all of that stuff, the three rules that I really tried to apply was one, to learn from my competitors and successful people's you know, best attributes and what they had hit home runs on. Secondly, is to learn from their mistakes and to avoid those at all costs. And then third was just to be as absolutely professional, polite, and all, and just on top of my game as possible. And I think part of that third reason, that third point, is that I really wanted my photos to be... Respected and respectable. And when you see photos on surfline galleries of a swell the day after it happens, or you see a photo printed as a postage stamp for fifteen dollars in the back page of a magazine, it doesn't do me any justice. And I don't have this ego where I sit back and say, "Well, my ph- my photographs are art, or I'm a master photographer, or anything." It's the opposite. I actually don't really care about photos. I don't have a single photo hanging in my entire house. I just don't. I value my time, I value my energy, and I also value the potential of each photo as an art asset. And that's kind of the business sense that comes with the whole photography businessman sort of thing. And in doing that, that's where I, I researched extensively and I, I learned how to conduct business uh, in a very punctual and, and um, so I guess harsh or strong way. So I wouldn't have my photos exploited or, or just have them sit around or slip through the cracks or, or just not go anywhere. Um, If I give away a photo for free, it's because I'm getting an insane amount of leverage out of it. I don't like doing that, but man, if Red Bull wants a a photo of mine because they're going to write a story about me on their, their athlete blog, that's insane exposure. But at the same time, you know, if Surfline says we'll give you $25 for a photo of a swell, that's BS. And I would avoid that like the plague and rather have that photo not be seen, and I don't sit there and cry and say, oh my gosh, no one's seeing my beautiful photo. What's you know, that's not that's not my my thing. Instead I go, you know what, I'm making this decision because I'd rather save this photo for elsewhere or because I don't want to dilute my brand.
0: Well, if you're only as you are, you kind of made the right decision.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, but yeah. we did offline we've worked on the the top five. Top five or six owners in surf photography. yeah. And as grim as it is now for a bulk of photographers, like it, it's not the the glory days like it was 10, 15 years ago. Mm. But for now, for those very few, the 1% of the 1%, it's better than it can ever, could ever be. Chris Burkhard, yourself, Ryan Miller, Eugene Tan from Australia who runs Aqua Bumps. I want to dive into these guys because... They're all they're, there's a certain amount of genius to every one of them, and they're very successful because of it.
1: Absolutely. So, like that that list you just gave is actually kind of interesting because Chris, I don't think, has taken a photo of a surfer doing an air or in a big barrel in eons. I don't think uh, Eugene Tan is on the radar of any surfer outside of Bondi, and most of those surfers are probably the ones that like Otis Carey or, or um, uh, Noodles would laugh at or something, or whoever the, the good Bondi surfers are. In that sense, what you've just said, now is the best time ever to be a photographer because I can take a photo of something totally random anywhere in the world and I can edit it or just send it to my phone in one second and I can post it and it can get more viewership, more likes. It can be emailed across the world. It can be CC'd through you know, VPs and marketing executives or art directors anywhere around the world in a second. There's no film being developed. There's no photo editors. There's no... No, nothing. It's all we've become. These kind of like insular titans, where we we are responsible for everything, for better and for worse. And if you can capitalize on that, and you can develop a skill set where you can get your work seen and propelled to be used, or or just in, to inspire, or to to come back and promote yourself, you will. Your power. Your your power is limitless.
0: Zach Noah doesn't even have to Bluetooth
1: it from his camera to his phone. No, so Zach just swims out (laughs) of the pipeline with his iPhone and and makes his his mortgage effortlessly. That shot of Noah Dean from behind is extraordinary. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that photo as an Apple ad, and I think it was a couple of magazine covers as well, taken on an iPhone that I'm almost certain he would have taken that and sent it to somebody just to, to toot his own horn immediately, <laughs> probably me. or No, he took, he took it and sent it to me and Ryan Miller almost immediately and said, look at what I just took while swimming around with my iPhone. And it, it was incredible. I, I saw probably one of the best if, if surf photos from that year, from that whole Hawaii season, taken on a phone, sent to me immediately before he probably even got to the beach and towed off. And look at how far he he milked that photo for. for. It was a Surfer's Journal cover. I think it was a cover in Australia for a couple of magazines. And then on top of that, too, Apple bought it. So that's how different things are to being on the Indies Trader in 2005, taking a photo of Kelly Slater and having to wait a month to send off your to get to port to send off your film to have it developed to then have it sit on a photo editor's light box for three months until he had the perfect place for it in a magazine or for Quicksilver to use it for their spring, summer of the next year for a, um, a print ad.
0: So in terms of timeliness, I really want to talk about Ryan Miller, who I know uh, warms your heart a lot. And uh, yeah, I want to break down his success because we've got him coming at number three in the top five owners in the, in the surf photography space. And generous, generously... Uh, and generously, when he entered the surf photography scene, I would have him pegged in, say, the bottom 20% of talent. But he came into the scene and identified a real hole and that was timeliness. So he was his focus was, as you know, he'd go and shoot, he'd leave the beach, he'd upload, send to the brands and they would have something to post on their own social that day. And he worked out the sweet spot okay, if a brand has to send a photo, it's going to cost X in in flights, Y in accommodation and their per diem. So he came in just under that rate and then he just started getting retainers from all these brands. So he was just this flow of content for these guys and no one ever had to ask for it. He would just be down there from sunup to sundown and he was ultra reliable, which typically didn't used to happen with surf photography. You know, it was like a slow burn. You take it, take your photos After a trip, you would go and edit them. He sort of broke that whole model. And I just, the way he doesn't post on social media defies. Oh,
1: it's beautiful.
0: It's just, it's insane. You go, why don't you post on social media? He goes, I don't want to, I'm not wasting my photos. That's not my gig. However, he goes and shoots the best surfers in the world. He sends in their shots immediately. They repost it. And then all of a sudden he's validated by their posting of his work. And then he's absolutely judicious. If a brand goes and reposts that, he's all over them. But the real magic is when he says to a surfer, so a surfer will come in and say, oh, why didn't you shoot me? And this is more the sort of B-grade guys. And he says, oh, your brand doesn't support me. And he says, so if you want me to shoot you, go and see the brand and get them to put me on a retainer. And so he doesn't even have to sell into the brands. The surfer goes along, goes to the brand and says, hey, I want Ryan Miller to shoot me shooting these sick photos of everyone else and... It's genius.
1: I have I have absolute world of respect for Ryan. Um, his plain Jane action surf photography is it's we're ships in the night. But what's I, he
0: make a year? How's he go?
1: Uh, I would think he makes between two hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars. But here's the thing: insane, right? It's incredible, and it's it's actually funny because I didn't even think that was possible when I entered in the surf world. And
0: in terms of inspired business models, I want to talk about Eugene Tan and aqua bumps in Australia. So for those people who don't know, Eugene is a guy who goes down five days a week and shoots Bondi Beach. I would imagine the most famous beach in the world. I guess it would be. And he gets up every morning, rain, hail or shine, goes and shoots photos of the pool, the ocean, underwater, whatever it is. And it used to be a hobby and then it turned into a business and he had a web design background and he used to work for a design studio and so what happened was all these media agencies and all these creative people lived around the eastern suburbs where he shot every day. And all of a sudden he had this validation into some of the biggest brands in Australia, the Cannons, car businesses, whatever. And so he would, one part of his brand were these commercial contracts he had. Another part of it was the gallery he set up. And it was all just done with impeccable taste. And if you thought at the start someone could create a business from shooting Bondi Beach every day, you'd just laugh him out of the room. And his business is extraordinary. Same thing, very disciplined. You don't want to get up every day and shoot that same shitty beach. But he does
1: a fantastic job. He's really nailed it. And in that regard, um, it's very different. That I, I don't think I've ever really seen a, a business model like that in the scope of photography except for very endemic photographers. Like if you go to the Leaning Tower of Pisa or whatever, there's a gift shop there. It's kind yeah, of Yeah, but like the, the difference in
0: that though is it doesn't get the locals so they're no. two different customers. Exactly. You go to an open house for an auction or whatever it is uh, in Sydney or the eastern suburbs. Every single, like every opening, has one of his pieces on the wall. Yeah.
1: He was the precursor to Instagram. He was he was the person that said you want daily photos, daily amazing content, and if something is that great and it resonates with you, you'll buy it.
0: And in your interpretation, his
1: earning capacity comes in behind Ryan Miller. You know, I'm not too certain, but he has a gallery in a very high rent neighborhood. And at the same time, the amount of foot traffic in Bondi, I think uh, I walked past it about maybe a month ago in the evening time and it was closed at the time, but I was looking inside and I was looking at all the merchandise and I was blown away. So I can only imagine what he makes between online sales, print sales, and then private commissions or any sort of social media ambassadorships and stuff, but... I would think he's, you know, he's at least upwards of a quarter million, if not more.
0: So just to close this off, the top owners in the surf photography world are number one, Chris Burkhardt, Ballpark, where's he land?
1: I'd be surprised if he wasn't around a million dollars.
0: Number more. two, you, north of 500, give or take, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Glean over that. Number three, Ryan Miller, between 250 and four. Yeah. Number four, Aquabumps, Eugene Tan. It's see Aqua bumps.
1: yeah.
0: Sort of similar numbers. Mm-hmm. And then coming in behind
1: that, Zach Noyle, Clark Little. Zach Noyle. Clark Little's a huge X factor um, because he has a huge Japanese following. And then also I just don't really understand. Like his gallery in the North Shore must crank. Is surf photography still a viable path? What advice would you give young surf photographers? I think if you told me, if someone came to me and this happens all the time and says, I I want to be a surf photographer, what should I do? I'd probably laugh and say, uh, trying to be a surf photographer is the wrong way to approach it. It's not a dead industry and it's not a failed career, but instead the way that we have to engage photography and engage surfing is totally different. And if you, like, if you think about that list, you just were throwing out about high earners, but if you also look at people that are maybe not earning as much, but doing incredible things in the surf photography realm, they're still not truly surf photographers anymore. They're photographers that shoot surf. And I think that's also been a huge shift.
0: Okay, so this, someone might break through because they can master a platform or a medium. So potentially, an up and coming kid might have a vlog that's all about the documenting of, the pho- of his photographs and how he got them, what he did, where he is, and he's a part of the story. I feel like that might be the future in someone who can be successful. They get a big following that way. Everyone wants to know how to take great photos, be one part instructional one part personality, one part the actual work they're creating. I feel like there's those little angles that haven't been explored yet.
1: I think kind of there's going to be a new generation of photographers. I've already seen this in Chris Picard's work where he's almost sharing more selfies of himself daily than he is of his own work, just photos of landscapes and stuff. If you go through his story on Instagram or if you Google his name and see the last 10 articles about him, it's constantly photos of him taking photos, him on bikes, him in the process of shooting photos, him walking through you through his gear. And people really want that. They want that connection. They want to look up to this person. And then as you grow in that amount of size and fame, um, you need kind of a, a celebrity core to both tie, like tie it all together and to continue the, the growth um so i think guys like jay alvarez like that model guy from the north shore of hawaii who just takes pretty photos of, of the skydiving and the crazy things he does um i kind of see that as the future of photography you know brent bielman is a perfect example of that i mean there's his his instagram and his social media is is littered with photos of himself spear fishing and hiking and shooting and stuff but the and, guys you're mentioning are
0: models so you're saying the only the the only opportunity left is to be a model photographer
1: no i think it it's just so happens that they um, are trying to kind of represent themselves as models or look like models, or maybe are models. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but I think that they are kind of harbingers of the next generation of a social media photographer. I'd like to think that kind of in the death of magazines and the death of, of, of traditional television, and as we shift to online and, and digital consumption, especially through social media, that we have to evolve photographers and content creators and filmmakers and stuff. And and people want to know everything about you and what you're making. And you can't go these stretches between a month between posting epic photos and a year between making epic films. And what are you going to do? You're not going to dilute those times with uh, those time periods with crappy work. So instead, you're going to fill it in with behind the scenes and with who you are. And people also want a personal connection to you. That's the beauty of social media. I mean, that's what Kelly Slater the point where I I get so frustrated with him because he sits around at, at two in the morning fighting with his followers in the comment section about the flat earth or whatever. But in reality, it has kind of made his page that much more intriguing and incredible than, you know, um, what's a good example? John John Florence, who just posts a video and says, this is me, wait until the next one. You know, there's no engagement. There's kind of this veiled curtain hiding and obscuring you between what you spit out. And I just think that whether, what about
0: what about the introverts? What's happen- what happens to them?
1: Well, I feel kind of introvert in the sense that I have a I'm a rather private person. I don't have a lot to share. And I feel like I'm I'm kind of on my way out in that sense. Like I feel like I'm getting uh, I'm a lot of brand pressure and a lot of missed opportunities. And then also I just feel like I'm misusing this platform and these tools that are at my feet. They're people that are sharing their own brand, they're creating their own brand. And that's what it all boils down to is Chris Burkard is not a photographer anymore. He's a brand. You know, I'm a photographer and a filmmaker. I'm not really I just a can't brand. believe he said that. <laughs> Why how so? The it's,
0: person as a brand thing is so funny to me. But yeah, sorry, go on. I, I mean,
1: honestly, it is. This is what that's what the I mean, a lot of these collaborations and stuff, they're they're not collaborations. They're they're partnerships between brands. And it's it's I, I have a hard time. I mean, like every day I wake up and in the in Instagram all of a sudden, I lose a 1,000 followers and I email my friend that works at Instagram and he says, Oh, because you didn't engage these followers on Instagram TV, so the algorithm punishes you. And I'm just like, How does that work? How do I? Is someone in the, in the boardroom at Facebook saying, Oh, you know, this kid needs to um, uh, now go out and hire someone to edit his Instagram TV videos because he's already working 23 hours a day? What's the best dis- career decision you've made? I think the best decision I ever made was to perfect an email. And learning how to write the perfect email is basically having a master key. I'm sending more emails than ever. And it it really, I mean, everyone DMs and sends messages or makes phone calls. But an email is where a photo shoot or a commercial or project starts and where it finishes.
0: So I'm assuming it doesn't have dear whoever. (laughs) Hope you're well. Best, Morgan. It's usually listen up. Give me this much money now.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: Even though you earn more money than Ryan Miller writes a better email than you. Does he write a better email than me?
1: No, he doesn't. He does, yeah. He does? Yeah, really? phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I've never really written you a proper email. <laughs> you don't want anything of mine. <laughs> You're not a multimillionaire brand. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, what's, the, what's the worst decision you've made? I think the worst decision I've ever made, and this goes from the macro to the micro, is expecting someone else to do the job for me. And that comes from asking someone to hand me a lens and dropping it off the side of a boat all the way up to trusting someone with the keys to my kingdom. And that's when, I mean, the the brand thing I threw out earlier now is stupid (laughs) and a sort of contention between us. But that's where when I'm directing a commercial, and I'm doing a, a Corona commercial in the Maldives and it's X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars a day or whatever. And you have 150 people cruising between hotels and yachts and helicopters and Chris Hemsworth is there and stuff. When you're on a production like that, you need to both be very calm and cool, and you also have to be able to say, have everything in charge, and be able to, when you open your mouth, know what you want to say and not waste any words or any time and make sure everything's happy and you deliver the end result to the client. I mean, yeah, whatever, your brand or you're not a brand or whatever, but you're bigger than any photographer now or any filmmaker now, unless you're just doing staff film or staff photos. For a brand and they're just telling you what to point your camera at in the studio or on the beach. You're a director. You're directing so much. It's like Jimmy Wilson's a great example, who you mentioned earlier. I mean, he's not really a photographer anymore. He's the what's his title at Vans? He's the director of social media or something. His work is brilliant. Yeah, I'm a massive so fan. He's running around events, he's he's planning trips, he's going on projects, and yeah, he's he's shooting video and photo more than ever. But there, he's transcended being just a photographer or a filmer. He's directing projects, concepts, and final delivery of media. That's the bridge version? (laughs) The bridge version is (laughs) trust nobody. (laughs) Okay, real quick. Uh, Bridge version is if you you want it done right, do it yourself. There you go. And that is from the top to the bottom.
0: Okay, so I just want to have a quick word from our sponsor, which is Bird Hair Products. So we're here in the bird's nest in Newport, California. And Morgs. I'm about to ask you about some style questions as part of our partnership deal with Bird. But it's with this caveat, uh, you and I both went to Chloe's wedding together, mm-hmm. not as a couple, <laughs> and uh, Chloe never stops telling me we're the worst dress guests.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but after seeing that recent thing where I had the board shorts and the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat, I kind of take that as being a compliment. Mm. So you ready? Yes. Uh, these are questions pertaining to your personal style. So
1: can you give us... Your grooming routine, what's it look like? Um, I grabbed, there's a bar of soap here. It's called Soap on a Rope. Um, second thing I grabbed is a texturizing surf spray. <laughs> yep. So I spend a lot of time in the ocean. If I'm not shooting, I'm surfing or swimming. Or I'm just on boats or whatever. And it wears you down. It, it kind of kills you. Like I, like sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, I look like I'm 60 after like three days on a boat out the Channel Islands or crossing Indo or something. It must be terrible. So it's it's pretty hard. So it's nice to come back and have some um, texturizing surf spray to <laughs> to freshen up a little bit. And then lastly, I grabbed a candle because like my office always has random smells in it. And what do you got? Strange. A tropical so coconut. I grabbed a tropical coconut, tropical coconut bird signature candle.
0: Uh, Another thing I want to bring up is apparently you are bullish in negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a brand, there's quite a big brand, one of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, They have a billboard and they say, hey, we want to get this shot of yours for a billboard. And they say, we've got $8,000.
1: And you said, you think you're missing a uh, zero. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) So, um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, growing up, like I... I didn't really have a mentor in photography and I didn't really, uh, there wasn't really a lot of the stuff we've talked about now. Yes or no, Morgan? Yes or no? No. So, yes, um, (laughs) I'm stubborn and I don't always hit the nail on the head. Sometimes I sell photos for less than they're worth. Sometimes I sell photos for more than they're worth. But Did you say it's missing a zero? I try to always stand my ground (laughs) and I try to always say it's missing a zero, Sam. (laughs) Um, No, uh, yeah, actually I say that every time. I try to stand my ground and I try to know what my photos and my work and my time and energy is worth.
0: And so who's more ruthless in chasing down reposting of photos you're Ryan Miller
1: uh, Ryan Miller is because he derives the sick sort of pleasure out of it <laughs> uh, a confrontational <laughs> pleasure whereas I I always tease him about this as I sit back and I say what is my own time and energy worth um, Ryan really loves that sometimes I'm in a really um, uh, mischievous, or conniving mode and I'll, I'll go out of my way to push some buttons and, and teach brands or magazines or something, a, a lesson. But for the most part, you know, some photographers love that. And then uh, I just personally, I just tell brands, I send them a cease and desist or a DMCA and, and move on. Um, unless there is a possibility, like I, I caught a big um, water manufacturer using my photos for free. And um, so I sent an invoice and I said, you know, it's just it for like 6,000 something dollars. And it was for, I don't know, five, six, seven posts or something. Um, And I said, This is my invoice. You have 30 days to pay it. No ands, ifs, or buts. And I had a couple calls from them saying, What can we do? Can we work with you? Can we figure it out? We love your work. We're so sorry. And I said, No, I'm I'm sorry, but you use this as marketing collateral. You know, if you were to reach out to me, I wouldn't shoot it for you for free. Um, You know, and I'm sure your lawyers have a great understanding of this, and my lawyers do too. Uh,
0: Nice one. Uh, Anything else we've got to discuss?
1: What photographer do you think? holds single-handedly the most valuable key? I'll give you my answer after you give me yours.
0: I think scarcity, whatever, regardless of whatever, regardless of any industry, scarcity brings value. And you guys all have a scarcity. you top five, top six, top seven. I really love Jimmy Wilson's photography. I love how much he pushes himself. I, I don't know whether you saw the work of his from the US Open down here at Huntington. It was insane. You know how Huntington's a shitty beach. Yeah. It's hard to shoot. The action's not great. And his work was really inspired. He did that pole cam work at the surf ranch the other day. I know you hate wave pools and we've are just being we been just slaughtered with that imagery ad nauseum. But the way he shot that was really inspired. I don't know whether you saw that pole cam that looked like a really low hovering drone.
1: Well, how did you, I saw that on Instagram. He's got
0: this pole. He was using it in Waco for Stab High as well. Was and he
1: surfing on the wave too? No, he so, was on a ski. Ah, got it.
0: And... I'm super impressed by stuff like that. He's just pumped on the future and still trying to innovate. There's not much innovation in surf photography anymore. Beyond this work with the GoPro, I think. In my research for this piece today, for this interview, I spoke with Robbie Crawford. So he's the guy who goes and shoots the wedge with the, he's only ever shoots with the GoPro. He has become that for GoPro. So he used to be a bodyboarder and then he used to, then he used to surf the wedge and then he just started shooting it. And he's the GoPro go-to guy. He makes really good money, that's his thing. He said he used to get these missives, these two-page essays of people telling him he's not a real photographer, doesn't use a real camera. And he got abused and got abused, got abused, and then he was just
1: accepted. And I guess it's not dissimilar. Well, yes and no. I think, like, I don't personally know Robbie Crawford, but I feel like he was one of the early adapters to GoPro and has really made GoPro his thing. Um, I'm Actually, he's blocked me on Instagram, so I haven't been able to oh, ever you're a troll. see his, Yeah, I'm a troll. Um, no, he made fun of me and I... I made fun of him back or something and he blocked me. I forget it was probably had to do with GoPro. But um, anyways, I don't really know what's going on there, but I know he's like the GoPro guy. Um, and so <laughs> um, it's so petty. he blocks thatmail too in the same vein. You little um, bitches. I know. Um, so I think he's a GoPro guy and he's absolutely owning the GoPro and its ability and he works tightly with GoPro and he, the zone at the wedge and cylinders, he gets remarkable photos and video and stuff. Um, but I still don't think that holds a candle. I don't think it's the, it's it has nothing to do with the way Zach Noyle, someone that was shooting with a $10,000 Canon 5D Mark IV with the latest and greatest piece of glass and the, the lightest housing, one day just swapped it out for the phone that he was, you know, texting his chick and, and ordering a pizza with a couple hours prior with and swam out at the best day at Pipeline ever, you know, the best day of the year. Yeah, I don't disagree.
0: Yeah,
1: so... Um, but I think there's no, don't guys you go after
0: Robbie, you've, you you send him a message and just get unblocked. He's lovely.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll send him a tasteful nude.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do that. Yeah. Okay. Then you have some like massive client. You got to go, you got to go sell yes. something to yeah. some, another five or six figure yeah.
1: deal going to New York tomorrow to give some presentations. Okay,
0: cool. Yeah. I'll go back to my shitty life. You go yeah. back and do your big contracts. Yeah.
1: Thanks for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cool.
0: And thanks also to our sponsor, bird hair products. Mm, bird (laughs) Uh, yeah what a great space we'll talk yeah talk to you soon